0: So we're going to jump into chapter 10. So hopefully you guys have your Bibles with you this morning. You can open up to the book of Matthew, chapter 10. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to cover the first 15 verses, but just for uh, the beginning here, we'll just read the first four verses together. And I'd like to ask you to stand just in reverence to God's word as we read this morning, uh, the first four verses of Matthew, chapter 10. Matthew... Um, He's gonna. Chapter ten is gonna begin another long a uh, 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 discourse uh, throughout the book of Matthew. You're gonna see a couple times where Matthew or Jesus just kind of gives a long instruction, uh, and it's broken up in between different miracles and healings that he does. And so he's gonna uh, give some instruction here in Matthew chapter ten. And so uh, we're gonna get into part of it uh, this morning. Let's read chapter ten, verse one. Says. And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus. Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, and we pray that as we spend time in your word, that you would lead and guide us. And Father, as we uh, just spend time in your word, I pray that you would uh, not only allow us to understand uh, the context uh, of what's going on for that particular group uh, of people, the audience there, but Lord, I know that you also have application for us and so i pray that uh, as we go through your word that you'd lead and guide us to that application that we would allow your word to mold and shape us into the image of your son jesus christ we thank you that your word is powerful enough to do that we thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and so lord we want to submit ourselves to the work of your word this morning we ask for your blessings in jesus name we pray Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Verse 1, it states that Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and that he gave them power. Uh, This is worth noting. Jesus called them and then he empowered them. Uh, Oftentimes I think that we limit ourselves and believe that the Lord Lord can't use us because we don't have certain talents or certain abilities. And, And this verse shows us that God does not call the able, but that He enables the call. God isn't limited to using only those who are extremely gifted. He calls who He wants. And after calling them, He enables them to do what He asks. And I, I believe that we can be confident that if God is asking us to do something, that He will empower us with the strength to do it. This, I think, brings to me great peace. Because I know, I know that I, I am not the most talented uh, or gifted pastor. I'm very new uh, at this. But I'm confident there, and I'm confident that there are probably many, many others that can probably do a a better job of teaching and and leading uh, you uh, through the Word and and being your pastor. But God hasn't called many, many, many people uh, to be the pastor here. And I do believe, uh, by God's grace, that He has called me to pastor uh, His church here in Iwakuni. And as I'm confident that He's called me to serve here, I'm also confident that He's going to supply what I lack. You guys just have to bear with me as he supplies with it. So, uh, But it, I think it's an important point that I want to make here right off the bat is that God always enables those whom he calls. God always enables those whom he calls. You know, my pastor, uh, Pastor Rick Barnett there in Calvary Chapel, Okinawa, he used to always say, God supplies the batteries. Okay? Uh, he would tell the story of how excited he got, would get when going through his Christmas stocking, and he would find batteries. Okay? You, know, you know what that means, right? When you get batteries in your Christmas stocking. Okay? It means something under the tree needs batteries, and that excites guys. Okay? And, and so, it's interesting uh, that we see here, God supplies the batteries. Okay? He called these guys, and then he gave them power he enabled them you know i think christmas uh when i was a kid i just thought it was the worst when i'd open up a gift and i'd be all excited to play with it but then i'd realize it, it needed batteries and then we didn't have batteries and so it's always a bummer even as an adult, that's true too. I get <laughs> bummed out. And so I want to encourage you parents, you know, if you're getting you something to your kids, if it needs to be charged, charge it ahead of time. Okay? Or if it needs batteries, put some in the stockings or make sure you at least have some on hand so that they can open that up and get going with it right away. Uh, so just a note for you there, parents, as you prepare for uh, the next few weeks. Okay, another thing worth noting here is that uh, the gathering of these men... It takes place right after Jesus had just asked them to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I think that's important to note. Okay? There at the end of chapter 9, Jesus directed his disciples to pray for more laborers. Okay? And, and I've found that more often than not, that when we start to pray for laborers to be sent into his harvest... That oftentimes as we pray, we will often hear the Lord say, how about you? And we see that's what's happened here. He directed the disciples, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he might send out more laborers. And then the very next verses, what's happening? They're getting called out. Okay? And they're being sent out. Okay, I want to encourage you to pray to the Lord of the harvest for more laborers to be sent out. And as you do so, I want you to be listening and to be intent uh, on what the Lord might have and what you may hear from the Lord as he uh, may call you as he called these disciples. Well, speaking of these disciples, let's take a look at who these guys are. Okay, verse 2 identifies these disciples as apostles. Okay, this is the first and only mention of the word apostle in the entire book of, of Matthew. Okay? Um, I I thought that was quite interesting. I thought, surely it's got to be in here again, but it's not. It's only in the book of Matthew one time, and this is where it's listed here. Uh, It's in other Gospels, but only once here in Matthew. The word apostle means uh, one sent out. And these 12 disciples were specifically called by God and sent out by Him. The title apostle is used in really three different ways in the New Testament. Okay? First and foremost, it refers to the twelve that were sent out uh, by Jesus listed here. Okay? Later on in Acts chapter 1, you're going to see that because Judas Iscariot is no longer uh, around, that Matthias is placed in, he becomes one of the twelve apostles. Okay? The second use of the term was given to the people authorized by local congregations with the delivery of specific gifts... For other Christian churches. Okay, you'll read about those guys in 2 Corinthians 8 and in Philippians 2. And actually, in the English translation, they're, it's translated as messengers, not apostles. But it's the same exact Greek word uh, as apostles. Okay? And the third use is those whom Jesus Christ had sent out, but they were not part of the twelve. Okay? Paul is mentioned as an apostle. Okay. Jesus' brother James is uh, mentioned and identified as an apostle. Okay. Along with uh, other various epistles, different people were listed as apostles. Okay. And some have wondered and asked if apostles are still in operation in today's church. And the answer to that question is yes. And the answer to the question is no. Okay. And so let me explain to you. If you define how you, it depends on how you define an apostle. Okay? If you define an apostle simply as one sent out, then yes, I believe that the church still has people today that are sent out. Okay? And we don't normally refer to them as apostles. More often than not, we simply call them missionaries. And so we have people that it, it is a gift to the body, are apostles, they are people that have been sent out. We call them missionaries. And so do we have missionaries today? absolutely. My family and I, we are here in Japan on missionary visas. We are the religious activities visas. And so we are missionaries. We have been sent out. And so, yes, we have people that serve as apostles, people that are sent out. But if you want to look at the office of an apostle and define it based upon what the Bible gives to us, I think that the office of the apostle is no longer in operation for today's church. Okay? That the Two requirements are mentioned in Scripture as prerequisites of the kind of like prerequisites of sorts of being identified as apostles. And Acts chapter one uh, clearly sets a precedent that an apostle had to be around and they had to witness Jesus' earthly ministry. When they get together to say, "Okay, who are we going to replace Judas with?" They said, "Well, it's got to be someone that's been with us from the beginning and followed his you know earthly ministry, seen us from John the Baptist on through to the resurrection." And so we see that was one of the requirements that they had to identify uh, the replacement for Judas Iscariot. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul makes the case that he can be called an apostle because he had seen the risen Lord. If you guys remember, on the road to Damascus, the Lord appeared to him and commissioned him. And so we see here, biblically speaking, uh, because we weren't around... During Jesus' earthly ministry, nor have we seen his risen body uh, physically appear to us and commission us, I I believe for that reason the office of an apostle is is no longer in operation. Uh, And and some of you probably don't agree with me, and I'm okay with that. I've studied it, and this is where I've come to the conclusion that I believe, and I would encourage you guys to study it yourselves, and look and see how the Lord would lead you. But I know that a lot of people you see uh, in different churches, people that carry the title of an apostle, um, and so they choose to do that. I'm not going to belittle them or say that that's wrong. Uh, Just as I look at the scripture, I I think you can be a missionary, uh, but the office of an apostle uh, based upon biblical text, uh, I don't think that that's available for us today. Well, getting back to our text, we see that Jesus listed out the 12 apostles by name. And I'm going to read again. It says, uh, first, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Lebeus, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. As we look over this list of names, I'd like to point out just a few things, okay? First, I want to point out something that comes from Luke's gospel account. It's not actually in Matthew. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it tells us that before Jesus chose these 12 out of the great multitude of people that were following him, before he chose and singled out these 12, that he had, been, uh, that he had spent all night in prayer. To God. And then he chose these guys the next day. And so through much prayer, these men were selected. And after a full night's prayer to God, this is who Jesus selected. Simon Peter. What do we know about Simon Peter? We know that he was a fisherman. In fact, some say that up to half or maybe even more of these men, as a business, as a trade, were fishermen. Okay, and, and fishermen—they're generally hard workers, and so you'd say, "Oh, that's, that's pretty good." Get some hard workers, part of your guys. But they're also—they can sometimes be a bit crude in their manner. They can be rough in their in their speech and in their uh, actions towards others. And so, we see that maybe, okay, that maybe makes a little sense. We can deal with that. We know that Peter was impulsive. Okay, Mark. Chapter 14, verse 29, he rejected Jesus' words. Jesus said that all of his disciples were going to betray him. He says, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Right? Very impulsive. Peter was the one who drew out his sword and he chopped off the ear of the high priest's servant there uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter was the one that asked the Lord to call him out on to the water. Lord, call me out if it's you. And, and he walked out on water. He's the one that wanted to, to make three tabernacles there. Let's make three tabernacles. One for Moses and one for Elijah and one for you, Lord. And, and oftentimes, he was speaking out very uh, quickly. Uh, over and over, we see him. That he would act first and, and, and maybe think second. Sometimes, maybe not think so much. So he was very impulsive, Okay. Not only was he impulsive, but he rejected the Lord, and not just in a passive way, kind of his fisherman language kind of came out. In Mark chapter 14, it tells us that he did so rejecting Jesus, cursing and swearing, "I do not know this man of whom you speak." referring to Jesus. He chose Andrew. What do we know about Andrew? Well, Andrew was the brother of Peter. Okay? He, too, was a fisherman. Andrew was a a disciple of John the Baptist, okay, Uh, and is often mentioned in connection with bringing individuals to Jesus, okay, I think uh, of all of the guys that he selected, I think this guy, Andrew, is maybe one of the only ones that I probably would have selected, because he seems to have a lot of good things said about him, okay, but I I do think that Andrew, although he did a lot of great things, there's not a whole lot of mention about him, Uh, And I often find that, you know, Peter gets all the limelight. Peter gets all the spotlight. And so I think Andrew pictures someone who can't, you know, maybe has a problem escaping Big Brother's shadow. James and John, they were chosen as well. They were fishermen. And Jesus gave to them the distinct nickname of the Sons of Thunder. Okay? Uh, To me, it sounded more like a a tag team wrestling duo than uh, people sent out to spread the message of God's love, the sons of thunder. Okay, these guys were harsh. They were presumptuous as well. In Luke chapter 9, after Jesus was not received by a Samaritan village, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? And you know what, I would have loved to have seen Jesus' face when they said that. They'd been like, really, guys? Really? Uh, and, he, and he rebukes them, you know, and, and they were just, I think, one, like, that he would consume it. But I think on the other side, too, like, like you think that you could do that? You know, that like you could just call down fire? Um, and, and so these guys, they were harsh. They were presumptuous. Uh, okay, we also see that they would try and sneak in. Uh, to seats of honor behind the backs of the other disciples. Okay, they came uh, trying to make a, a power play, and they asked the Lord, hey, can we, when you come into your kingdom, can we sit at your right hand and sit at your left? Uh, they were a bit cliquish as well. Okay? John's recorded as rebuking someone uh, and not allowing them to minister in Jesus' name because they didn't hang out with Jesus in it. And they hey, you can't be doing that. I for- and he's like, why did you do that? Okay? He chose Philip. Okay, not much is said about Philip. Uh, one account I read in John 6, he's seen as clueless in how to provide food for uh, the majority of the 5,000 that were there. He's kind of like, how are we going to do this? I don't know. Okay. You've got Bartholomew. Okay? Bartholomew is most often associated with the disciple Nathaniel. Okay? They believe that Nathaniel and Bartholomew are the same person. Nathaniel was a skeptic. He was a cynic. Okay? When told about Jesus being the Messiah, you know what he said? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, he was he was a skeptic. Jesus he chose Thomas. Thomas will forever be mentioned and remembered as what? Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. He didn't believe Jesus had been resurrected, okay? He's one of those guys that he, you know, that kind of has that I've got to see it to believe it type of mentality. He actually took it one step further. He wasn't just I gotta see it to believe it. He said, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He was a doubter. We have Matthew, okay. He was just a tax collector that was hated by all the Jews. Okay. James, the son of Alphaeus, uh, is pretty much an unknown. Okay? Not much is mentioned about him. We could say maybe he was a nobody. He's actually referred to sometimes as James the Less. And it's like, that's kind of not so great, right, of a title, James the Less. Lebeus, he's also known as Thaddeus, is also known as Judas, the son of James. I think this guy's got so many names, he's got to have something wrong with him, right? Simon the Canaanite, he's uh, chosen by the Lord. Simon was a political rebel. A lot of people believe that he had ties to the zealots. Okay? Uh, these zealots were people that tried to lead a revolt against the Roman Empire in the early first century. Okay? And, and lastly, he chose Judas Iscariot. And, and we all know how that turned out. Okay? He was a traitor. He betrayed the Lord. Uh, he sold the Lord out for a few pieces of silver. He was stingy. He was greedy, and he was a thief. You know what's even crazier to consider is that Jesus chose Judas, knowing full well that he would betray him. And, and as I look over this list of individuals, I can't help but you know kind of scratch my head and wonder: Really, Lord? These are your choices. Because I, 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 we've read about people of great faith. I'm like, well, where was the centurion? Remember him? He had like the greatest faith in all of Israel and, you know, or Jerusalem. You know, what about these other guys that just, why didn't you grab those guys? These power, you know, people that had the centurion, right? He's a military leader. Yeah, that's good. You know, he had great faith. What about the uh, uh, Jairus? You know, he was a leader of one of the, the synagogues, a ruler of the synagogue. He'd been a good guy to have on your team. And so it makes me kind of question... You know what the funny thing is? And another thing, to make matters even worse, four of the twelve disciples, four of these twelve, were given special distinction. Okay? One was made the treasurer of the group. Okay? This one was in charge of overseeing all the gifts that were brought in and making purchases and giving gifts. And maybe you'd think that Jesus would choose someone with a finance background. Okay? Maybe you know, you'd look at a guy like Matthew... He's, had, he's worked with finances before, uh, and you got a tr- you got a guy here in your group. He was a tax collector. You could use him. No, he didn't choose Matthew. Okay, he chose, for this special designation, he chose Judas Iscariot, the greedy, stingy thief that would betray him just for some few pieces of silver. Okay. As for the other three that were given special designation, Jesus had three that he brought with him. Oftentimes, for very special occasions where he would do, uh, you know, God would just do great and awesome things. Uh, and the three, uh, they were called, they were part of the inner circle. Some people will refer to them as the, the three inner circle disciples. And, and who did he choose? Okay, these are the three that I'm really going to pour into and invest in and, and show them great things. He chose the impulsive Peter that would curse and swear that he didn't know him. And he chose James and John, the sons of thunder. As these are my three guys, my go-to guys. Again, as I consider these choices that the Lord made, I can't help but think that maybe he ought to have spent another night in prayer. Why did the Lord choose these men? Of all the men that were following him, I can't help but think that there had to have been better options. Which makes me believe that there was a very important reason why he chose these. And I'm going to list two for you. Two reasons why I think that God chose these men. May I suggest to you that God chose these men so that we would look at them and that we would find comfort and that we would find hope. Because as I look at the list of individuals God chose to entrust his ministry and his message to, I can't help but think, Maybe God can use me too. Maybe some of you here today can relate to some of these guys. Maybe you're a little impulsive. You're like Peter. you got a a foot-shaped mouth. You often put your foot there. Maybe you feel buried under the shadow of someone else. Maybe you've been known to be a little too harsh sometimes. Or maybe even a little presumptuous. Perhaps you've been known... To be a doubter, or a skeptic, or a cynic. Okay? Some of you may have checkered past like Matthew or, or Simon the Zealot. And some of you may just associate with James the Less. And you just think, well, like I'm a, I'm a nobody. I don't really have much. Okay? Can I encourage you to take hope and comfort in the list of men before you? God used the most unlikely of men to do incredible things. I think he chose these men to bring hope and comfort to us, but I also think there's another reason. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 27 through 29. It says this: that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. And here's the answer. Here's why. Verse 29 says that no flesh should glory in His presence. You see, if God would have chosen the super gifted, those full of faith, the clean and the, and the proper, people may have looked at them and thought they had something to do with it. Because the, they had this gifting, because they were so faithful, because they were, you know, already had this going for them, that God was able to use them. Okay? God chose these guys so that when the world was turned upside down by their ministry and their message, that the people would say, This has to be God. Because it certainly wasn't because of them. You know, and I I want to encourage you and say this in a loving way. Please don't feel disrespected in any way. But if God chooses to use you, it's probably not because you're super talented. But it's more likely that He chose you because you're foolish enough. Or you're weak enough. Or you're insignificant enough. To the point where when he does do something incredible in your life or through your life, that people will say, that has to be a God thing. And so, these guys were chosen because they're the guys that you and I, that we wouldn't choose. So that no flesh should glory in his presence. Verse 5 and 6 says, These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In the remaining portion of Scripture this morning, we're going to look at the instructions that Jesus gave to his disciples as they were sent out. And these instructions are, I believe, specific to them. Okay, And s- specific, I almost said specific, specific to uh, this unique calling in this ministry. Okay? However, even though that these instructions were meant for them at this moment, I still feel that there are some principles that we find here that I want to just glean from. And so we're just going to go through and we're going to pull out just some things that we can glean from uh, this portion of Scripture. Here in verse 5 and 6, we see our first indication that this message was for this group specifically. Okay? Jesus told them, tells them not to take the message to the Gentiles, but only to the Jew, Jews. Excuse me. We know okay, that we have been commissioned to take the news of the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. Later, Jesus will recommission these disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. And so we see here an indication that these instructions were just for this time period and, and this thing. I don't believe that applies to us, that we need to first only go to the Jews and share the gospel message. That's not for us today. We share it with all of the nations. Why did Jesus tell them to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel only? I believe it has to do with the fact that the Jews were God's chosen people. God has been working in and through them since the very beginning, and it only makes sense that the gospel will be presented to them First, okay, I think that they should have been the ones most ready to receive the message. Going to the Gentiles first would have been more difficult because there's not so much common ground. It's kind of like that here in Japan. It's a lot easier to share the gospel with someone who's brought up maybe in the United States, and well, they're not even identified as a Christian nation anymore. But at least. I won't say anything else. But let's just say, people that maybe traditionally have been exposed to it, it's a little bit easier to explain the gospel to them. Okay? Not so here in Japan. Okay? In in Japan, most people are brought, brought up with religious views uh, from the Shinto religion or from uh, Buddhism. Okay? And the idea of of a monotheistic, one God, uh, all-powerful, merciful, and loving, creator God, that's foreign to them. Okay? That's very different than what they've been explained or been shown and been brought up. Okay? And so it's much more difficult to explain to someone from Japan the gospel than it is from someone maybe to, from the United States because they, they, there's more common ground to work with. The idea of, of one God and a creator God, it's, a little bit more acceptable in the U.S. than it is here in Japan. And so I think for that reason, too, going to the Jews who believe in the same God, and they believe in a Messiah that's going to come, and they believe in a kingdom that's coming, that it's, okay, these guys are going to be the ones that are most ready to accept it. Okay? Other factors, I believe, may have been that they were to go to the, if they were to go to the Gentiles first, okay, they would have been immediately rejected by the Jews. Okay? The, for the Jews, they believed that they shouldn't associate with Gentiles or people that associate with Gentiles. There was like, we don't want to have anything to do with you. And so if they would have went to the Gentiles first and were received and then tried to come to the Jews, they may have had more roadblocks and hindrances. And so maybe that's why he told them to go to the Jews first. Okay? And, and even though these instructions are for the twelve going on this specific mission, I still believe there's a principle here worth noting. Jesus sent them to the people from their own homeland first. And I think the principle here is that ministry needs to begin at home. Ministry needs to begin at home. If you want to get involved in being used by God, start out ministering and serving at home in your family. Once you've begun serving at home, then, then you go to your home church and you plug in and you serve there, you know I've heard it said that before you go across the ocean on a missions trip to share the gospel, you ought to have at least gone across the street to share the gospel. Okay? Ministry begins at home, and that's what he sent these guys to their homeland first to their countrymen first, okay before we should ever think about going out and spreading the gospel message, we need to make sure that the gospel message has been shared at home, okay. Verse 7, and as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus told them to preach. That, that word preach means to announce publicly, to proclaim with the goal to persuade or urge. Okay? The most basic idea, people say, means to herald. This idea that you just shout out uh, this message. Okay? They were to be bold. They were to be persuasive with their presentation of the message. And the message was simple. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The message he told them to share, it was the same message that God told John the Baptist to proclaim. It was the same message that Jesus Christ proclaimed. And it's the same message that he sends them out with. It was the same. Not only was the message the same, the message was very simple. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is, is God's kingdom, and, and it's at hand. It means God's about to do something. Okay? God's about to do something. Pay attention. Be on the lookout. Because God is about to do something. That's a simple message. Okay? And, and here I see just a, another principle. God has given to us a message. It's a very simple message, too. Okay? It hasn't changed in nearly 2,000 years. It's the same. The message is simple. God has sent his son Jesus to pay the penalty of your sins so that you might dwell with him. That's the message. It hasn't changed in 2,000 years and it's a very simple message. And I think that it's something worth noted here. Okay? It's... I I think too many people think that they have to, to maybe jazz up the gospel. Okay? They have to change the gospel to make it better or to make it more relatable to today's people. You know what? It's the gospel. The power is in the gospel, not in how we can you know, change it. Okay? Don't change it. Just share it. It's a simple message. It's stayed the same, and it's done incredible things, and it will continue to do incredible things. There's no need to change it. And I believe that is the beauty, that there's beauty, and there's power in the simplicity of the gospel message. And I understand that people may have questions as we share the simple, simple message with them. And we should be ready to provide answers to questions people may have. But I think we, the most important thing is to get the simple message out there first. Okay? And then deal with the questions as they come. Okay? Let's be faithful to get the message out. It's a simple one. Okay? It hasn't changed. Let's get it out there. If people have questions, we'll deal with them as they come. Here we see a very simple message and hadn't changed. It was the same as John the Baptist, same Jesus Christ shared. And he said, go out and share the same exact thing that everybody else has been sharing. And I hope that you would do the same thing. Verse 8 says, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Jesus gave the disciples power to heal all sorts of diseases and and infirmities. He told them, freely you have received, freely give. Jesus had empowered them freely to be able to do things that they were going to do. And so he said to make sure that they used those abilities freely. I looked up that word freely to to find out what that really meant. Uh, And it means to do something without a cause Or to do something undeservedly. Without a cause or undeservedly. These men didn't deserve the power that was given to them. It was given to them freely. They didn't get it because of something that they did. Uh, It was undeserved. These men didn't uh, deserve it. Likewise, he tells them to go and use what he had given to them freely. Freely. Go out and share it with those that don't deserve it. Go out and share it with those that don't merit it. Freely give. And Jesus warned His disciples not to hoard the gifts and abilities that they were given. He gave them these gifts so that they may be a blessing to others, to bring healing, to bring cleansing, to bring freedom, and to bring life. Herein lies, I think, another principle for us to follow. Whatever God has given to you, whether it be gifts, talents, abilities, treasures, whatever God has given to you, He's given it to you so that you might share it with others. What gifts, talents, treasures, or abilities has the Lord given to you? Can I encourage you? To use them for God and for his kingdom. Use what's been given to you so that you might be a blessing to others. Verse 9 and 10 says, Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs. For a worker is worthy of his food. Here's a, another indication that this message was for this specific group of 12 at this moment. Okay? Jesus told them to not bring any money uh, in their money belts, nor bag, uh, no, nor extra tunics. Don't bring any extra shoes or an extra staff. Okay? But however, later on, okay, later on Jesus is going to direct them to bring along a money bag. And he's going to tell them to take along a knapsack in Luke 22, verse 36. And so we see that it's a, there was a recommissioning, that this, this example was for this group of people right here in this situation. Okay? But uh, I want to ask the question, why did Jesus tell them not to bring any of these things? Okay? And the answer is actually in the text. It's right there. If you look in the text, it tells you at the very end of verse 10 for a worker is worthy of his food. Jesus told them that if they go out and they do as they were supposed to do, that they would be provided for. If they go and do the things God told them to do to heal the sick, to cleanse the leopard, To raise the dead and cast out demons, then people are going to take care of you. Think about it. I often say I I like to present myself or imagine myself in the scriptures. Imagine for yourself at this time, you have a son or a daughter that was plagued with leprosy. And a man comes along preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand and he lays his hands on your son or daughter and cleanses them from leprosy. Don't you think that you might be willing to provide that person with a meal? I I think that's probably the least of what we'd be be willing to provide, right? I mean, if someone came and, and raised someone from the dead or healed them from their sicknesses, cleansed them from leprosy, don't you think hey, can, can I help you out here, brother? Can I, can I do something for you? Can You need a place to stay tonight? You need something to eat? That's the principle. Hey, if you're out doing what I asked you to do, you're going to get taken care of. Okay? I think Jesus, he was desiring to teach them a very important lesson. Okay? That if they do what God tells them to do, then they can trust that they will be provided for. They don't need to rely upon themselves. They don't need to pack up extra bags and put money in their belts and do these types of things. They they don't need to bring along that stuff for this trip. They can completely rely upon God to provide. When my wife and I uh, left California and we joined the mission field in Okinawa uh, a little over ten years ago, okay, we brought with us some extra bags. Okay, uh, we brought as many bags as we were allowed to on that plane. We had three in our family at the time. It was Farah, myself, Caleb, and myself. And, and so we were allotted six bags. And, and so six bags in hand, and we maxed those puppies out. Okay, I mean we—I still remember we were like—we st- had to do a team thing because you ever realize that when you stand on it and you have a bag and you try and weigh yourself, you can't see. The scale, right? And so it's like, okay, you look and I'll land. And it's like, this one's 69 and a half pounds. We can still fit another half a pound in here. Because at the time it was 70 pounds. And now I think it's only 50 pounds. But we were just loading up every single bag we could. And it was just shoving this stuff in there, right? So you might think, you know, some people might say, you know, was that wrong of us to do that? Were we not trusting in God? I don't think so. Okay? We were balancing, I believe, being good stewards with trusting God to provide. We were allotted six bags. So we're going to take six bags. Okay? So we're being a good steward. That was provided for us. Okay? And we thought, okay, this is what's provided for us. We'll go with that and we'll allow the Lord to provide the rest. There was still an, an aspect of faith involved. Okay? We still had to trust that the Lord was going to provide a place to stay. We had to trust that he would provide a job so that I could purchase food and feed my family. And some people thought that we were crazy uh, for doing that, to think that you'd sell off everything you own and and pack up six bags and move to a foreign land. But we knew God had called us to the mission field. And and we believed the principle that God was showing these disciples as they went out in faith. And that principle is this, where God guides, God provides. I know it's a little cliche, but I believe it to be true. Where God guides, He provides. God was guiding us and leading us to move to Okinawa, and so we trusted that He would provide. And you know what happened? God provided. He provided a place for us to stay. I landed on, on a Thursday and Friday morning. I went to local school, Christian school, applied for a position and got hired that day. And God provided a job. Okay? And God provided a place to stay. And God provided, you know, it, it was hodgepodge at first, you know. It's like hand-me-down. Oh, we got this old table. We'll take it. You know, we got this old couch. My wife, God bless her sold. you know, for a couple of years there. She was just kind of like, I can't even like look at our mismatched furniture, you know. But it's how the Lord provided God did incredible things. I remember those first couple years looking around a house we had filled up and didn't buy anything. And just thought, man, God, you've been so faithful to provide. God led us and God provided for us. And I don't say that to puff myself up or say we were a great faith because we weren't. We were, you know, very uh, scared at times and wondered how God would provide uh, but I say that to encourage you and give you as an example, a real-life example, that God does provide where he guides. Okay? We see that he's teaching them this principle here. And I want to encourage you, if God is leading you to take a step of faith, or he's asking you to do something for him, that you would be confident that he would provide for you as you're obedient to follow him. Verse 11, it says, now, whatever city or town you enter, inquire in it, inquire in it, excuse me, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. And when you go out into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. Here we see uh, Jesus instructs his disciples to, to not go house hopping, looking for the best accommodations, okay? When they enter a city, they're to inquire who in it is worthy. The word wor- Excuse me, the word "worthy" means not only deserving, but it can also mean befitting, or in keeping with or corresponding to what's expected. Okay? And so the idea of someone worthy would be someone who's, who's keeping to what is expected. Okay? most likely someone of faith or someone who's received the message. Whoever was worthy, they were to stay there and and not try to look for better accommodations. They were to let their peace rest upon that place. The idea portrayed is that their presence should not be something that causes strain and difficulty for the host family. But be peaceable. They were to bring peace to the household. They were to be a blessing and not a burden. And here is another principle that I think as we learn, as we go out, as God leads and guides you, that we would remember to always look to be a blessing and not a burden. That our peace, when we come into a situation, into a place, that our peace would reside upon that place. That it would be a blessing upon wherever we're going and whatever we're doing. The latter part of verse 13 says, But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will nil, will not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart from the hou- that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Jesus said, if the house is not worthy, or it's not befitting, then leave that place, and and let your peace return to you. Can't believe what he's saying here is that if you go to a place and And things are going on that just aren't befitting. Things are going on there that maybe a messenger of God shouldn't be involved with. Then you need to to leave. Jesus said if there's a place or a city that does not receive the message that they uh, bring, then they're to shake the dust off of their feet. You might kind of think, well, that's a little weird. What's all that? Uh, What's that mean? The act of shaking the dust from one's feet was symbolic of, of freeing yourself from any connection that you may have as well as any responsibility for the guilt of their rejecting the message of God. Okay, this type of act was very common in those days. Symbolic acts would be done like this. We know that uh, similar, similarly Pontius Pilate did a similar act like that. You guys may recall that the trial, he stood before the group and you know what he did? He washed his hands. He said, I washed my hands. Okay, it wasn't because they were, you know, dirty and he needed the, you know, whatever. But he was saying, symbolically, he's saying, I washed my hands of this man's blood. I'm not going to be held responsible for what's going to happen, you know, even though he could have done things. But... The, the symbolic gesture there was, I'm freeing myself of the responsibility. And that's the same type of thing here that shaking the dust off of your feet would imply. You're saying, I, I'm not going to have anything to do with this place. I'm shaking the dust off of my feet. I'm going to no connection here. You'll be responsible for yourself. Okay? And it's an, uh, an important thing to note here, okay, is that it wasn't the responsibility of the disciples to make people receive the message that they shared. Their responsibility was to share the message, and that was it. If people choose not to believe or to reject the message, they were to move on and bring the message to a new place. I think there's a good principle here for us to be reminded of. Okay? And that it's it's this, that we're not responsible for making people follow Christ. We are not the Holy Spirit. Okay? It is the work of the Holy Spirit to convict and show a person their need for a Savior. Okay? We cannot try and replace the Holy Spirit. Hopefully we are empowered by Him to, to work on His behalf, okay? but it's not our job. To save people. Our job is to be faithfully preaching the message. Okay. And, and, and we preach the message. And we use the gifts that he's given to us for him. Okay. We're not to trust in our own provision. We're, not to, we're, we're to be a blessing, not a burden. Okay. But as we all do that, we can't make people believe. We can be faithful in presenting the message. I think sometimes we 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 know that secondary part. We know that we can't make people believe, but then we just fall short. We say, "Well, I can't make them believe." I you know, just let the Holy Spirit do it. We don't even share the message. We don't even allow ourselves to be a light in their life. Okay, and so I want to encourage you. These responses, they had a responsibility to go and share that message. But hey, they're kind of like the watchman on the wall. You guys know about that in Ezekiel? People were coming. The watchman had a responsibility. He sees people coming. He needed to tell people. There's people coming. You know, the uh, attack is coming. You guys need to get ready, right? And if he did that and the people didn't do anything, he was held, you know, without responsibility. He did his job. But if the watchman sees something coming... And doesn't say, hey, there's people coming. The word says that their blood would be upon him. He'd be held responsible for that. We're kind of like that. These disciples, they were placed in that situation. He said, go and preach this message. Okay? You've been empowered to do so. Go and do these things. Okay? Don't worry about if they receive it or they don't receive it. That's my job. Okay? I'll take care of that. You share the message. Use the gifts God's given to you. Be a blessing, not a burden. Trust in Him to lead and guide, to provide. And He'll take care of things. It says here, verse 15, He says, you know, basically, I'll take care of that place. Okay? And, and the beauty of it is that, God, we may share with one person, another, and we say, okay, well, we did our job, or we did what we wanted to do. We wanted to lovingly share that message with them. Okay? And we may not see them come to faith. But God may send another person. And they may water that seed. And another person may water that seed. And then, who knows, 10, 15 years from now, th- that seed brings forth a harvest. Because God's doing it, not us. Yeah, I was encouraged yesterday. We went to the orphanage, and we were ministering to them. And it's like, well, it, I was talking to Walter afterwards. He says, it's an uphill battle. You know, because they, they take them to the Buddhist shrine, and they take them there. I said, you know what? We're just planting seeds. We're sowing the seeds. We're watering it. Who knows? Maybe these kids grow up to be adults. They get out on their own, and they remember that group of people that came and loved on them and shared the message of Jesus Christ with them. And and God does a great thing. And so I want to encourage you guys to get involved and use your gifts for the Lord. Be faithful to share the message and allow God to do with it what He wants to do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray, Father. We thank you for this morning and the blessing of your word. And we thank you, Father, as we look at these men that you chose. Father, they're not the people that we would have chose. Uh, at least they're not the people I would have chose. And Lord, I wouldn't have chosen me, and I would. Uh, and yet you've chosen me. And I, I. There's a lot of people out there in, in your world that are more polished in speaking and, and better presenters and. Lord, you choose the foolish things. And so I thank you that we're foolish enough to be used by you. And Father, I pray that you would use us. Lord, especially, you know, this season that is upon us. What a, a wonderful platform that you've given to us. This holiday season, Christmas, and, and the world celebrates it. They don't celebrate you. But Lord, we, get, we have a message that we can share with others. Lord, I pray that we'd be emboldened to, to herald that message. It's a simple one, that you sent your Son to pay the penalty for our sins that we might be with you. That's how much you loved us. And, and Father, I pray that we'd be faithful to share that message. And if questions come, we pray you, by your Spirit's power that you'd enable us to, to know what to speak as your Word declares that you will do that. Father, I thank you for this body. I thank you that you're using them to be a light. I pray that you continue to use us. Lord, may you be honored and glorified in all that we do. I pray this all in Jesus' name.